Hi, welcome to another episode of the Wachning Alt Protein Podcast. My name is Maybrit and I will be your host for today. Today we have a special guest. Um, his name is Lawrence. Welcome. And yeah, would you like to tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, first, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I never would have thought that I would uh, actually be in a podcast. So uh, thanks for the opportunity. Um, I'm Lawrence. I'm a PhD candidate at uh, the Food Process Engineering Group of uh, Wageningen University. And I research how we can produce uh, animal-free cheese from recombinant casein. Uh, currently, I'm halfway, so two years down and uh, still two to go. Cool. Um, I did both my bachelor's and my master's in food technology here in Wageningen. Uh, and I also lived in Wageningen during, during that time. Uh, and currently, I live in uh, Amersfoort together with my girlfriend. Cool. Were you always like interested in dairy or did this just come with your PhD thesis? Uh, yeah, dairy science was also uh, always my uh, research passion. Uh, already in secondary school, uh, I did a research project or a profielwerkstuk, as we call it in Dutch, uh, about dairy. Mm -hmm. uh, both my bachelor and master thesis were linked to dairy science, and uh, now also my PhD is in dairy science. So that's definitely uh, a recurring theme, yeah. Okay, cool. So we all know that everyone in food technology is talking about the protein transition, and the protein transition essentially is the transition away from animal-derived products towards more sustainable alternatives. And it, I mean, we already find a lot of like veggie chicken and veggie minced meat and stuff in supermarkets. Um, but why is this so important to dairy? Uh, what makes dairy so unsustainable? Um, there are multiple reasons. Uh, firstly, there's the uh, greenhouse gas emission of uh, dairy farming. So cows are rather uh, flatulent and they uh, emit quite some uh, methane into the atmosphere. And also the feces and urine of cows uh, release methane, uh, or no, not methane, but ammonia and uh, nitrous oxide mm -hmm. uh, into the atmosphere. Uh, then there's issues with land use, uh, both for the dairy cattle, but also to uh, grow their feed. So the soy and the corn that they eat. Uh, and this in turn impacts the biodiversity. Uh, then there's also the water use of the dairy farms and the impact that the dairy farming has on the water quality. Mm -hmm. And then there are also still uh, issues with animal welfare and animal health. Um, so yeah, on the one hand, I think more and more people are becoming aware of these issues and therefore transition to um, vegetarian or vegan diets. But uh, on the other hand, I think um, dairy products are highly nutritious and they contribute to healthy diets. Um, and they are simply delicious, at least in my view. So I think uh, these reasons create a, a demand for uh, animal-free dairy products. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of problems, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this morning I was actually researching, you know, dairy sustainability facts, and I came across this one fact uh, that said one glass of milk takes 200 liters of water to produce, uh, including, you know, feed and stuff of the cows. And I don't know, just looking at the balance, it just seems... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Problematic, and, uh, and, and it would be great if we can uh, improve that with uh, with uh, yeah, precision fermentation. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of water, um, obviously milk contains a lot of water, but what else does milk contain? Yeah, so if we're talking about uh, fresh bovine milk, so the, the milk from cows, which uh, is is mostly consumed, yeah, uh, then it contains uh, four to five percent uh, lactose or milk sugar, uh, amount uh, an, about an equal amount of uh, fat, of which more than half is uh, saturated. Uh, about 3% protein, 0.8% uh, uh, minerals, so calcium and zinc and selenium and uh, magnesium, and also some vitamins, so uh, vitamin A and E, and B2 and B12, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, the 3% protein in milk can be subdivided into uh, caseins and whey proteins, 
And the caseins constitute 80% of the milk protein and the whey proteins constitute 20%. And uh, my research is focused on the casein fraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these caseins, can you actually explain what a casein is? So what makes them so unique uh, as proteins? And yeah, for what do we need caseins? Yeah, so to make it a little bit more complex, the uh, caseins can in turn be uh, subdivided into four uh, protein families. So we have alpha S1 casein, uh, alpha S2 casein, beta and kappa casein. And together these caseins, they form uh, spherical particles in milk, which we call uh, casein micelles. And these casein micelles are really tiny, uh, only a few hundred nanometers in diameter. So you cannot see them with the naked eye. And they sort of have the appearance of a uh, hairy tennis ball. Um, and casein micelles are actually the reasons why uh, why milk is white, because they scatter light and thereby give milk its white appearance. Uh-huh. Um, and biologically, milk has a nutritional function, right, to, to feed the calf. Mm-hmm. And casein micelles uh, specifically have uh, the function to transport calcium and phosphate to the calf, which it needs to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second function is to um, clot in the stomach of a cow, uh, calf. Mm-hmm. So uh, when um, milk enters the uh, stomach of a calf, it comes into contact with uh, an enzyme, rennet, which is uh, present in the stomach. And um, the enzyme cleaves the hairs of the hairy tennis ball, Mm -hmm. so the proteins on the surface of the casein micelle, and thereby uh, the micelles um, start to clump together. So when milk enters the the stomach, the um, uh, milk starts to clot or coagulate, and thereby it regulates the flow of nutrients into the intestine. And this process of coagulation with this enzyme in the cow's stomach, the rennet, this is also what we use during cheese making, right? This is why micelles are also so crucial to produce cheese, right? Yeah, so indeed, biologically, milk has, or actually for uh, human consumption, uh, the casein fraction is um, especially interesting because uh, it is these proteins that are used to produce cheese. Um, So almost all the cheese varieties that you find on the market are produced with casein. Um, Ricotta is the, the... uh, one of the best-known um, exceptions to this, which is made from whey protein. Mm-hmm. But all the other cheeses are um, almost exclusively from caseins. Um, and um, indeed, during the production of cheese, uh, we basically do the same thing as happens in a calf stomach. So we add the uh, rennet, the enzyme, uh, in the calf stomach and acidify the milk a bit. Uh, and thereby, the, uh, yeah, the casein micelles form a curd. And this uh, curd is then uh, pressed and brined and um, yeah, ripened. And we can produce over a thousand cheese varieties in this way. Yeah, cool. And yeah, we do know that we um, can also produce cheese without micelles. Uh, for example, um, processed cheese type of products uh, can be produced without micelles. And also the plant-based cheeses are an uh, example of that. Uh, but I think if you would really want to uh, mimic uh, Gouda type of cheeses, um, yeah, really closely, then we really need the, the micelles because they have a, or they form a unique um, gel structure with a unique texture that we will not be able to uh, mimic with uh, without micelles or with, with other proteins or with other gelling agents. Yeah, that kind of brings me to the next question because um, the GFI, the Good Food Institute, that's the organization that um, also supports our student group. They state that there are like three types of alternative proteins. So we have plant-based, then we have cellular agriculture, which is just, yeah, cultured meat cells. And then we have fermentation-based plant, uh, fermentation-based alternative proteins. And we also call this precision fermentation. Can you maybe explain just 
generally the basics of precision fermentation and uh, some background on this technology. Yeah, so precision fermentation is uh, a technique where we use uh, microbial hosts mm -hmm. as a sort of uh, mini factories to produce uh, all types of functional uh, ingredients, including proteins. And uh, these proteins are also called uh, recombinant proteins. And in the example of uh, recombinant caseins, um, we take a piece of DNA that codes for the casein protein from a bovine cell and insert it into um, a yeast or a bacteria upon which this um, uh, host then starts to produce the same protein as the cow makes. And um, these um, microbes also need nutrients to grow, of course, uh, so sugars and amino acids that are still coming from uh, traditional agriculture. Uh, but there are also companies that try to uh, grow these microbes on um, yeah, uh, feed streams that are not uh, um, suitable for human consumption, such as grass. Mm -hmm. And Those Vegan Cowboys is an example of that, which is a Dutch uh, startup company. So they actually make it even more sustainable by recycling waste streams then? Yeah, indeed. And that's really, uh, that's really interesting. Cool. Yeah, but it sounds kind of, it sounds really cool. It sounds almost too good to be true. Um, what are the challenges and limitations of these recombinant caseins? Do we have any, I don't know, health issues with them or technical challenges or... Yeah, I think uh, too good to be true is, is a, an accurate description, <laughs> at least at this moment. Yeah. Um, there are many challenges. Um, firstly, there are multiple challenges with the uh, um, expression of the caseins by the microbial hosts. Uh, so often only a low protein yield can be achieved and uh, very much processing is needed to separate the actual proteins from uh, the rest of the solution, which contains uh, the microbes itself and um, everything that they secrete, but also the substrate that uh, the microbes grow on. Um, then secondly, the microbes often express uh, insoluble or incorrectly folded proteins. And sometimes the proteins also have uh, amino acid mutations. Mm -hmm. So that's also a challenge to overcome. And uh, lastly, uh, microbes have limited ability to provide so-called post-translational modifications um, uh, to the protein, which means that they are uh, unable to tag the amino acids with uh, sugar groups, which mm -hmm. we call uh, glycosylations or uh, phosphate groups, which we call phosphorylations. And it is especially these, uh, these phosphorylations that are very important for um, the functionality of the caseins, since the phosphate groups on the caseins uh, interact with uh, calcium and phosphate in milk, and thereby they actually form the micelles. Uh, so if caseins do not have these phosphate groups, then they will not be able to form micelles, and they will also not be able to uh, transport calcium and phosphate. And this is also a, next, uh, a nice bridge to the next challenge, uh, which is to assemble the individual uh, recombinant caseins into uh, micelle structures. Um, and this is where my research actually focuses on. So we are studying ways to uh, assemble the recombinant caseins into micelles and produce so-called uh, artificial casein micelles. Uh, and at the moment, we do not know much about um, forming micelles from non-micellar caseins because that never had a practical relevance, right? Because why would you... Uh, make micelles if there are already micelles in milk. True. But um, with the arising uh, production of recombinant casein, this suddenly becomes relevant. And uh, that's why we are researching processes to form micelles um, and engineer micelles with desired properties for cheese production. Mm -hmm. um, and this raises many interesting questions. So, for example, um, can we also produce micelles with caseins that do not have these uh, phosphorylations? Or um, do we actually need all the four caseins present, or can we also make micelles from 
uh, one or two types of casing? And uh, can we influence the properties of the micelles with uh, different process parameters? And those are only a few of the interesting questions that arise. Uh, and then there's still a last, uh, uh, a last challenge, uh, which is the upscaling of both um, uh, the expression of the casings, but also the, the micelle formation. And I don't think this has been achieved yet, mm -hmm. but this will be very important for uh, yeah, cost-effectively producing um, food products with recombinant proteins in the future. Yeah, of course, that's also an important issue. But how's it going so far? Do you think uh, you're getting answers to these questions? Or uh, do you think you'll be able to manage to answer all of these within uh, the next two and a half years of your PhD? Or is this more like a 10-year project? On Well, uh, the, as with everything in science, I think uh, surely but, sl but slowly we are uh, uh, getting there. Um, but I think my PhD is only a, a fraction of the information that we need to... Uh, uh, yeah really make this viable for, uh, for food production. Mm -hmm. uh, but I hope to be able to tackle a lot of these questions in my, uh, in my BEC project, yes. There's still uh, two years to go. Yeah, you'll manage. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've ever tried the vegan cheese alternatives, um, like Vio Life or Beta Food. They make like, uh, yeah, they already have like also Parmesan alternatives, but all of them are, they kind of all taste the same um, and they most of them are also colored, uh, like orange or a very, very deep yellow. Um, not that this is relevant, but <laughs> um, a lot of these plant-based cheese alternatives don't really meet the expectations you would have to a cheese. Like, I personally feel they don't even replace like the most simple cheeses, like uh, I don't know, Gouda or something. So, how are these? Like, why do all these cheese alternatives uh, kind of taste the same, and why do not? Why, why isn't it possible to mimic proper cheese with plant-based ingredients? Yeah, I think actually uh, uh, Gouda cheeses um, are pretty hard to, to mimic uh, with, with plant-based sources. But um, to, to answer your question, uh, plant-based cheeses are generally produced uh, by first fractionating uh, plant-based materials into separate fractions. Um, for example, a separate uh, protein fraction, a separate fats and separate carbohydrates. And then these fractions are uh, combined in water in the desired ratios. And then this mixture is solidified through, uh, for example, heating or cooling or acidification, or even through the use of, uh, of enzymes. Uh, and then you end up with a uh, plant-based cheese. But um, yeah, plant-based cheeses produced through this method contain a lot of starch because starch has the ability to um, form a gel network upon heating and cooling. And thereby it entraps the, the fluids and all the other components that are, that are present. Um, and then the, the fats in plant-based cheeses are um, often a blend of um, plant-based solid fats, which is often coconut fat, and a bit of liquid oils to achieve the desired uh, texture and the melting properties of the cheese. And then proteins are added to uh, emulsify the fats, mm -hmm. uh, but also for their water holding capacity and, and the gelling properties. Uh, so to state it very simply, um, plant-based cheeses are often a, um, a starch network that entrap coconut fat, mm -hmm. whereas um, natural cheese is a protein network that entraps milk fat. Um, well, there is also a second way to uh, produce plant-based cheese, uh, where a whole plant-based material is um, employed yeah, to actually uh, form as a basis uh, or to, to uh, be the basis for uh, the plant-based cheese. Um, and in this method, the, the materials are first soaked. So, for example, uh, cashews or soybeans, mm -hmm. and then they are broken down. Uh, and then this dispersion um, 
is, is solidified through the same methods as before. And then you obtain a partial protein network, uh, but still the, the properties of, of such a, a gel and such a plant-based cheese are very different from natural cheese. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, thanks for the answer. Is there any plant-based source that could closely mimic caseins? Um, I'm talking about maybe pea proteins or so. And what makes recombinant milk proteins superior to the plant-based dairy alternatives? Yeah, there are quite some uh, commercially available uh, plant-based cheeses already that uh, mimic natural cheese pretty well. But most often the, the texture and the functionality, so the uh, melting behavior and the elasticity of the cheese, are very different. And also the nutritional quality of uh, plant-based cheese is uh, inferior to natural cheese. Uh, but undoubtedly, uh, in the future, food manufacturers will be able to uh, produce plant-based cheese that is much closer to natural cheese um, because there is still a lot of research going on on production processes and different ingredients. But I do not think that there is, that there is a plant-based source uh, that could so closely mimic the caseins in their functionality that we could um, produce a cheese the conventional way. Mm. And I think that's also the elegancy of uh, the recombinant milk proteins Uh, because with these proteins, we really, ha we really have the opportunity to um, produce animal-free cheese that is indistinguishable from a natural cheese because we can actually start with the same material and also use the same processes to, uh, to form the cheese. Mm -hmm. So since this is basically recombinant milk proteins are like from a biochemical point of view, actually really identical to the ones produced by the cow. So would you count them as vegan recombinant uh, proteins, personally? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I, I think it's certainly an interesting debate to be had. Um, but personally, I would argue that they can be considered vegan, yes. Um, actually, this is a little side note, but uh, the vast majority of the cheese that, that we can buy on the market are already produced with a uh, recombinant enzyme. Mm -hmm. uh, so the enzyme that we talked about earlier, the, the rennet of the calf stomach, Uh, we don't actually get it from uh, calf stomachs anymore, luckily, but we uh, uh, produce them recombinantly and mm -hmm. uh, use that to, uh, to produce cheese. And um, cheeses produced with the recombinant enzyme are considered vegetarian by those consumers who abstain from uh, um, consuming all uh, byproducts of animal slaughter. And the cheese is made with the natural enzyme from the calf stomach is not considered uh, vegetarian. An example of this is Parmesan cheese, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, but to come back to your question, um, in the case of food products with recombinant proteins, I think the um, animal is so far removed from uh, the final product, if it is involved at all, that um, yeah, consumers will not dive into this level of nuance. So after all, I think most vegan consumers are motivated by things as animal welfare and sustainability. And uh, I would imagine that they are welcoming towards um, uh, food products with uh, this type of or this type of animal-free food products. Yeah, I agree with that. I personally would also count them as vegan, but yeah, we'll see what like the EU comes up with with which kind of legislations and stuff. Yeah. So, when, in your opinion, will we find these products in the supermarket? Like roughly, what do you would you expect? Yeah, currently there are uh, many startup companies uh, scrambling to, to launch their first uh, cheese alternative with recombinant milk proteins. Uh, for example, Formo, which is the company that I do uh, research with. And recently also uh, bigger companies like uh, DSM and Fonterra started investing into this market. So that might uh, speed things up. Um, 
but I think it remains to be seen what what type of products will be launched first. Because uh, I can imagine a, a processed uh, cheese type of product is easier uh, mimicked with uh, recombinant proteins than uh, Gouda type of cheeses, for mm -hmm. which um, I think you need a micelle. Um, but yeah, I think the very first cheese alternatives uh, with recombinant caseins could launch within the coming two years. Uh, but in the subsequent years, we will probably see a steep uh, increase in the diversity and the, and the quality of these products. Okay, so you think they would also be potentially able to find things like Gruyere or so recombinantly <laughs> produced? Well, theoretically, that, that is possible. So uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm certainly hoping so, yeah. Okay, yeah, these are the things I really miss. <laughs> so do you expect recombinant caseins to be a breakthrough technology for other food or applications? Um, well, if scientists are able to, to harness the full potential of precision fermentation, uh, that basically means that we can produce um, yeah, any type of molecule that we normally obtain from uh, animals. Um, and we can then mimic any animal-based uh, food product. So meat and fish and milk, but also eggs. Um, but I think the impact of, recombinant protein, uh, of the recombinant protein production will be uh, the biggest in the dairy industry. Mm -hmm. Because in the meat industry, we already have these uh, plant-based meat alternatives that are uh, have a high quality. Um, and I think cultured meat is maybe a more elegant way to, uh, to get to meat alternatives. True. Um, and in other industries, uh, the recombinant proteins are sometimes already widely in use. For example, in the uh, pharmaceutical industry, uh, insulin is already produced recombinantly since the 80s or something. Mm -hmm. Um, so in that regard, the food industry might be even a bit behind. Okay. Yeah, I mean, consumers are also kind of responsible for the food industry being behind in this matter. Uh, until, yeah, recently there wasn't also much, you know, driving force to change your diet into becoming more sustainable. And now that we all see the impact of it, um, I think a lot of consumers are actually motivated to shift away from the animal-derived products. Yeah, true. And, and I think also legislation uh, uh, plays a part here. Um, I must say I'm not completely up to date on this topic, but it seems to be uh, uh, possible to register um, precision fermentation products uh, in Europe soon. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, I think consumers' perception also plays a, a big role here in, in how far the, uh, yeah, the, the precision fermentation will go. Um, so, for example, I can imagine if, if a package says that uh, it contains proteins from um, genetically modified organisms, that uh, that might scare some consumers who are cautious toward that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, then maybe one last question. <laughs> what is the product you're mo looking most forward to becoming animal-free? Yeah, I think you might uh, expect the answer already here, but uh, it's definitely a good quality uh, cheese. Because mm -hmm. uh, I uh, very often hear people say things like, um, "Yeah, I could be vegan if there was a really good vegan cheese." Yeah, and uh, I myself also love a, g a good cube of uh, old cheese uh, with those characteristic uh, salt crystals in them, and uh, uh, yeah, with a bit of mustard or apple syrup or chutney. <laughs> and if we are uh, able to achieve that animal-free, then uh, I'm all here for it. Yeah, it's it's eleven thirty, and I'm already getting hungry here. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I agree with this because I'm also, I would say, 90% vegan. And the 10% of times where I'm not vegan, uh, it's usually because of cheese. <laughs> because, yeah. yeah. And I think there's a lot of people like you. And uh, yeah, if, if we can uh, create a really good uh, vegan cheese, then I think uh, more people might be willing to take the, the full uh, vegan step, let's say. 
Yeah, because like with coffee, you know, milk replacements and stuff, it's just a matter of, you know, adjusting your taste. But I don't know why, but for me personally, the barrier to adjusting to plant-based cheeses is just so much higher than pouring a bit of like flavored soy milk into my coffee. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Lawrence, thank you for being here. It was a pleasure to have you here. And I think it was a really interesting conversation. Yeah, again, thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. And see you soon. Bye. See ya.